Give great attention to the reading of the very word of God. It's holy, infallible, inerrant, it's authoritative. God has given it to us that we would know him rightly, know ourselves rightly, and walk rightly with him all the days of our lives. So we do give great attention to the reading of his word. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had, have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and, ha and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Help us to love you, to walk with you, and put our faith and hope in you as if we were dying of thirst and needed water to live. May we thrust ourselves upon you and upon your mercy. For you have loved us and sent Jesus to die for our sins. Spirit, would you work in us even now? that we might believe, that our faith might increase, and we might be amazed by the mercy of the living God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so in the last chapter, in chapter 3, we met a Pharisee named Nicodemus who would have, by default, 
based on his own assessment of his life and good works, just looking at himself, it's true of the Pharisees in general, would have assumed that he was absolutely worthy of salvation. Nicodemus was a, a sort of insider with the direct path to God in his mind and, and would have been perceived to be true in that culture. But in this chapter, we meet a woman who would have assumed the opposite. And the culture would have assured her that this was true, that her, the troubles of her life would have surely made her not worthy of salvation. She was an outsider who was doing her best to hide in the shadows. Jesus takes the time to meet them both. We've already seen how he dealt with Nicodemus. And today we see how he meets and loves uh, the Samaritan woman as well. As we think about this story that I just read to you from John chapter 4, there's a few things we need to know. One, a normal Jewish rabbi would have never been seen talking to a Samaritan. It just didn't happen. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. The second thing we need to keep in mind is that a normal Jewish rabbi would do everything that he could to avoid even looking at a woman. He wouldn't even think of talking to a woman who wasn't related to him, especially in public. And yet we find Jesus doing both of these things here. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. In 720 BC, the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Israel there. And they brought in their own people to resettle the land. Some of the Jewish people who had not been taken into exile sought to make peace with the Assyrians. And they did that by intermarrying with them which of course was forbidden by God. When the Jewish exile was over, the returning Jews showed up, saw these, came in contact with these half-blooded Samaritans and despised them. In their view, the Samaritans had, had sold their Jewish birthright for temporal peace with the enemy. And so they looked down upon them. They scorned them, treated them as dogs, we're told. When the when the Jews got back, they proceeded to start building the temple uh, in Jerusalem again. And some of the Samaritans showed up at the Temple Mount wanting to help to rebuild the temple. And they were sent away, rejected, told that they were despised. And so they went back uh, to Mount Gerizim and built their own rival temple. We'll see that referenced in our passage today. The strife was so intense that many Jews thought that simply by standing in the shadow of a Samaritan or walking through Samaritan land would make someone ceremonially unclean. And so they, many of them avoided the land of Samaria. To get from, you know, from Judea to Galilee, they would, walk, uh, they would go across the Jordan River and up the side and back across just to avoid walking in that land. And so when we see today that it says in our passage that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, uh, the, the commentators tell us that a better translation there may be that, God, that Jesus was appointed to walk through Samaria. He was kind of called or sent or he went there on purpose for this occasion to meet Samaritans. And we would say in God's wisdom, particularly this Samaritan woman, through whom the gospel is going to spread into Samaria. We see that at the end of our our passage today. Verse 27 tells us that the disciples are shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman. You know, I mentioned earlier that, that most male Jewish leaders, particularly rabbis, would, wouldn't dare talk publicly with a woman. There were Pharisees that were known as the bruised and bleeding ones because any time that they would approach a woman in public, they would just close their eyes or cover their eyes but they weren't bright enough to stop walking. And so they were known for just walking into door frames and other objects. And so their faces were all bruised and bloodied 
Of course, they took that as a sign of holiness and righteousness. I didn't look at a woman. I covered my eyes. See the evidence of my righteousness. So stupid. Sorry. I'm not supposed to say that. Kids, don't say stupid. But it is. You know, many Pharisees, of course, taught that simply looking at a woman was sinful. Now, Jesus taught that looking, that it was sinful to look at a woman in a lustful way. But that's vastly different than looking at a woman in general. And so we see the, the way that the culture here is approaching and treating and teaching about the worth and value of women. And it's uh, something we have to be careful of as well. If you're familiar with the life of Jesus, you will know that he was constantly going against the grain of this culture. He was constantly honoring and valuing women, even those who were guilty of public failures or known for their sins. And so we see that today. He approaches a woman who's known, well-known, it seems, for her moral failures. And yet Jesus engages her on a personal level. Every culture, including our own, still struggles with, with these issues. We see Jesus today confront the issue of racism. He's relating to a Samaritan. We see him dealing with the issue of sexism. He's relating to a woman. In our culture, like I said, every culture, including our own, still struggles with these issues. Jesus here gives us an enduring model that we can follow to love everyone and treat every person rightly and help them understand they've been created and with value. They have an eternal soul made in the image of God, called to live for his glory. That's true of everyone, every race, every gender, every age. We're all made in the image of God. We're all called to live for him and for his glory, the one who made us in his image. But yet, while we know that everyone is made in God's image, we also know that that image is marred by sin and by the fall. And so we all thirst for something that will make us right again. Nicodemus, the Jewish insider, came seeking Jewish in the midst of the night, remember, in the middle of the night, seeking to know the truth, drawn by what he has seen and heard from Jesus. He came to Jesus. The Samaritan woman in our passage today kind of encounters Jesus accidentally, we might say, from her perspective, as if there are accidents. Uh, she encounters Jesus while seeking to hide, but while Nicodemus was kind of trying to hide in the night, she's hiding in the noonday sun. She's about to find an answer to the thirst that she's been trying to satisfy with all the things of this world. Specifically, we find out that she has been trying to find meaning in life through relationships with men, and she hasn't found satisfaction. What she's found is a trail of broken relationships resulting in shame and guilt that have driven her to avoid people and the comments and the stares and the shame that come from being you know, that person, the one whose faults and failures are known to everyone. We know this, like I said, because she's coming to the community well in the middle of the day to get water. The other women of the community came early in the morning or maybe in the cool of the late afternoon. But no one came to the well in the hottest part of the day. That's what made it the perfect time to avoid the shame and condemnation that came to her. And she was trying to avoid it at any cost. Jesus is already there when she arrives. And John tells us that Jesus was sitting by the well, wearied from his journey that he was on from Judea to Galilee. And so when, when Jesus saw her coming towards the well, he not only looks at this woman, he speaks to her, 
It even goes beyond that. He asked her for a drink, which means that he would have had to use her water jar for he had nothing to draw water with. Defilement upon top of defilement in the minds of people around him. To look at her, to speak to her, but to, to drink from the cup of a Samaritan person? Particularly a Samaritan woman. Jesus is breaking cultural taboos all over the place. Why? Because love is greater than cultural rules. The Samaritan woman doesn't flinch when he speaks to her. She confronts the elephant in the room straightforward. She asks how a Jew like him could ask for a drink from a woman of Samaria. She knows what the Jews think of Samaritans, especially Samaritan women. But Jesus doesn't hesitate to start turning her attention towards a greater need than the water in the well. Think about how crazy that is. There's nothing more vital in life than water. If we don't get water, we die. It's certain death. Without clean water, humanity dies. There's nothing that we need more. Except that there actually are more important things. Our biology tells us that water is most important. But the thirst and longing deep in our souls tells us there must be something even more important than that. And Jesus is pointing her to those things in this passage as he meets her by this well. He's about to open her eyes to a solution to a thirst so deep within her that she maybe doesn't even know that it is what defines her. This thirst for meaning and value has driven her life, and Jesus is about to lay her heart and her life wide open. First, he starts by turning the conversation away from the water and the well toward, and toward himself. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Of course, like we all would be, I think she's confused. What in the world is he talking about? He doesn't even have anything to draw water from this deep well yet. So she asked him, where do you get this living water? She doesn't know it yet. But she's just asked the eternal question of all questions. Where do we get this living water that makes us alive forever? She starts rambling on a little bit about the history of this well, how it belonged to Jacob and so forth, but Jesus doesn't get distracted. He points at the well and he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And then imagine he turned his eyes back towards her, looking her dead in the eyes, and he said, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman seems to think that this water that he is talking about may be the key to avoiding the hard work and the shame that she experiences in having to come to Jacob's well in the hardest part of the day, every day. And so she says, sir, give me this water that I won't have to come here, that I won't have to be thirsty and come here to draw water. Once again, Jesus isn't distracted by her misunderstanding. He ignores her temporal thirst and goes right for her heart. For that inward thirst that drives who she is at her very core. He invites her to go and bring her husband to the well. Oh, gosh, he knows. How does he know? I know everyone knows, but how does he know? She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're now with is not your husband. 
He drops a bomb on her unsuspecting soul. He lets her know that he already understands her shame. He knows while she's at the well in the heat of the day. It would seem at this moment that she would want to run away and hide from this man who seemingly knows exactly who she is. But how does he know? She doesn't run away. I think it's likely because he doesn't seem to be trying to condemn her like everyone else. He's just stating what is true. Seemingly with some compassion and mercy. She perceives that he must be a prophet, and so she changes the subject. She starts talking about the spiritual differences between how the Jews worship and the Samaritans worship, how the Jews worship in Jerusalem, but the, her people worship there on Mount Garrison. Maybe she's learned this skill of deflection from years of deflecting from the shame and the guilt that are cast upon her. I imagine she's a pro at distraction. But Jesus doesn't chase a rabbit trail. He takes the topic that she brings up and uses it to get back to what's most important. He tells her not to worry about who worships where. Because the day is coming when it won't matter whether you worship on this mountain or that mountain. What matters is whether you're worshiping the one true God in spirit and truth. Those who worship in spirit and truth are those who are worshiping God correctly. She doesn't understand it yet, but this living water that he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. He himself is the truth through whom this this true life, this living water comes. She doesn't completely understand, but at this point, you know, seeming to realize that he's, he's a prophet and that he's, he's there before her with answers to the mysteries of faith, the things that we all wonder about, the things that we all know. She's starting to understand this guy has answers to the questions that I've always been asking, to the things that all of us ask. She remembers something that she's heard many times. And she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And that when he comes, he'll tell us all things. Ah. Jesus has helped her work her way to the answer of that question. Where does this living water come from? It comes from the Messiah. The one who is the Christ. And Jesus' response is simple but profound. I am the Messiah. I am. The one promised from ages ago, the one promised to Moses, the one who told Moses, I am who I am. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. We're told in that last paragraph we read there that she went into town and started telling everyone, all these people who are normally pointing to her shame, she runs into the town square and starts telling everyone and inviting them to come to meet a man who told me all that I ever did. And yet she's not ashamed that he knows because he knows and he loves her. She's been transformed. We see evidence of transformation there by truth, by one who has looked into her life and instead of condemning her, has offered her hope, has offered her life, fountains of living water. Notice what Jesus said about this living water that he offers her. Back up a few verses. He said, this water will become in him, the one who believes, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water is not just a ticket to the afterlife. It's 
welling up to eternal life. And I think what he means there, it's like a well that's constantly giving water. It gives continuous hope from the moment that you drink it in. It's constantly welling up. It's not just a shot here and a shot there. It's not something that we have a hope for that we'll get one day in the future when we die or get to heaven or whatnot. It's welling up to give us hope in the here and now. To give life to our bodies, our souls, here and now. This woman might have had hope, you know, some hope that one day she might escape her shame and guilt. If she were able to somehow attain heaven or glory, she might get away from her shame and her guilt. But she had probably had little to no hope that it would ever dissipate during her lifetime. But Jesus has come along and offered her a pathway that includes freedom from the shame and the guilt that she's been carrying probably for as long as she can remember. She had to think when she first met Jesus that nothing encouraging could come from this encounter. Surely in the eyes of this Jewish rabbi, she was the wrong race, the wrong gender, the wrong religion. Surely she had lived out the wrong morality. Why would he care about her? But Jesus was not like anyone she'd ever met. He cared for her more deeply than any man she had ever known. He cared enough for her to expose her deepest longings and desires and to point out that nothing in this world would ever bring her the satisfaction that she had been chasing from relationship to relationship, from man to man, for her whole life probably. But Jesus cared enough for her not to leave her exposed. Jesus saw in her, uh, he saw her in a way that no one ever had. Jesus saw her as a valuable treasure made in the image of God. He knew that she was created to be a worshiper and that she would be lost and alone and would remain spiritually thirsty until she encountered and embraced truth, the truth. And in her case, the truth was sitting before her, leaned up against a well. Truth incarnate. Jesus Christ. Jesus was revealing to her that the way to true satisfaction was through him. And his invitation to her was to be honest about her need and to trust him. That is, it's spelled out for us in this account, but we see the evidence here. She realizes that he is the Christ, the one that her people have been waiting for. And he truly does know all things. That's her confession, that the Messiah would know all things. Even about her. He knows everything that she is and all that she has done. And yet he doesn't reject her or mock her. He doesn't push her away. He actually invites her closer. But not like the other men that she's known. They've all invited her closer to use her, to abuse her, to take advantage of her. But, but Jesus doesn't do this. He isn't there to get satisfaction from her. He's there to give her ultimate and eternal satisfaction. Jesus invites her closer that, he, that she might find something that satisfies her to her core. And not just satisfaction for today, but satisfaction that will stay with her all the way to the end of her days on earth and into eternity. It's a well springing up, welling up to life. And this love that he's showing her on this hot day at the side of this well would one day drive him to give himself completely at the cross for her and for everyone like her. For everyone who trusts in Him alone, 
to give us hope and value in the midst of our brokenness and shame. That's why he came. To give us freedom and joy. Joy was so far from her. But yet he looks directly in her eye, into her brokenness, into her shame, and invites her to come to the fullness of life. None of us, even the experts in the law, like the Pharisees, like Nicodemus, are beyond the need of God's grace. But also none of us, even the used and abused, the broken and the condemned, the ashamed woman, like the ashamed woman at the well, None of us are beyond the reach of God's grace. No matter where we've been or what we've done, no matter who has cast condemnation upon us, here's what Jesus says when we come to him to find living water. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We may not want to face the truth about who we are and what we've done, but Christ knows. God knows. But what's different about him knowing than the whole world knowing is that the world may condemn us and shame us. And cause us to carry burdens that we aren't able to carry. But Jesus gives us peace and hope and life. He says, I see your sin. My mercy is greater. My grace is greater than your sin. Come to me. And I'll give you peace. I will give you rest. And the burden that I give you is not too great to bear. It's peace and joy. And so he invites us to come to the well of living water to experience life. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, when we think about our sin, our tendency is likely to run and hide. Because we're all well acquainted with shame and grief and condemnation. We feel it, and we bear that burden, many of us even in this moment. But yet, God, you look into the depths of who we are, and you know our sin even better than we know it. You know that it runs deeper than we even imagine that it does. And yet, you have loved us with a love that's greater than we could ever ask for or imagine. Would you help us to walk in the love that you have given us, and the joy and peace that you offer, that we can sit right now in this very moment and know that because Jesus has died for our sins, there is now no condemnation for those of us who have put our faith and hope and trust in him. Help us to do that. When we feel guilty and ashamed, help us to run to the beauty of the gospel that we might live and walk in life and hope and peace in the joy of knowing that the gospel is true. And it's not just true in general. It's true for me. For those of us who believe, the gospel is true for us. Thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you work this truth deep into our souls that we might be like the woman at the well, set free from our burdens, proclaiming your glory and goodness to the ends of the earth. 
It's in your son's glorious name we pray. Amen.